I'm Steve Bainey, coming to you from the flatlands of Northwest Ohio. You're listening to Evernotice. This episode of Evernotice is a challenge for church people, and for those who don't consider themselves to be church people, or who maybe used to but are no longer, then it could be an opportunity for you to think through some of the reasons why you don't see yourself as a church person. Did you ever notice how easy it is to become a Christian? I mean, in most church contexts, there's very little, almost nothing, that's asked of a person in order to become a Christian. It's just this free gift that gets offered to you. And really, all you need to do is receive that free gift. But then you start reading through the Gospels and the rest of the New Testament, and suddenly it starts to feel a little bit more difficult. What happened to all of this ease? What happened to all of this free gift. And then you start learning about some of the traditions of the church people and all of these expectations, some of these unspoken rules, things that you have to do or not do, and you're faced with this reality of maybe it's not exactly what I thought it was when all of this easy access to Christianity was first presented to me. It's time for a poll. If you're a church person or you used to be in the past, I want to find out whether you had ever responded in some of the ways that a number of church people have, either by raising your hand or repeating words of a certain prayer, or maybe you walked forward to the front row. I'd like to know a little bit about whether you see this as the same thing as following Jesus, or whether you would just say, okay, well, that was what it meant for me to become a Christian. Thanks for your comments. You can share your answers for this poll and send feedback or other answers to me at PastorSteveBainey.com. Did you ever notice that Jesus never asked his followers to become Christians? In fact, the term Christian only shows up a couple times in the entire Bible. I think maybe three. The very first time that it's in there, it was written down by Luke when the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to write about the history of how the followers of Jesus were going about this mission of God in the book of Acts. So in Acts 11.26, it says, The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. The first time that this term ever showed up. They were trying to find a way to describe this particular group or sect of religious people. They weren't the same as the Jews or the Judaizers. They weren't the same as the the secular culture around them by any means. They had to have some sort of a name. And so they decided to describe them as people who were adherents or followers of Christ. The term today carries a nuanced meaning to it. But we understand very specifically, when Luke very first wrote this down, what he was talking about was the group of disciples were called Christians. So now we have to ask, well then, who are the disciples? We're talking about a bigger group than just the 12 apostles, the ones that Jesus trained and sent out. When the New Testament uses the term disciples, it means all of the people who were the disciplined followers of Jesus. You can hear the connection between the two words, disciple and discipline, seeing that the root is the same. So these disciplined followers of Jesus were the ones that believed he is who he claimed to be. They 
understood the things that he taught and accepted them into their lives and then did their best to live out his instructions so that he became their master, their teacher, their rabbi, their lord. I have a friend named Steve, awesome name by the way, who likes to illustrate this by having people imagine what it would be like if we knew someone was a disciple of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Imagine this. If you were a disciple of Arnold Schwarzenegger, then you would learn about how he works out. You would read books about him or books that he wrote, books that other people wrote about him. You'd find out about what he eats, what kind of diet and nutrition he has. You'd wear the same clothes. You'd go to the same places. You'd watch the same movies. You'd get to the chopper. You'd get a pet donkey because these are the things that Arnold does. And if you're going to be his disciple, then you're going to learn to do the things that Arnold does. It means the same thing when we're a disciple of Jesus, too. It means we learn to do the same things that Jesus does. This is where things start to get increasingly uncomfortable. You see, that's why I called it a challenge for church people. It's easy to say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. It's easy for me to receive a free gift. Costs me nothing. Sure, just go ahead. Give me the gift. I can even show up with a gathering of other people who call themselves Christians from time to time. And, you know, maybe there's some music and somebody says a prayer. There's somebody who reads something or says something. And it's really not all that costly of me. I could choose to donate some money or maybe volunteer some time and service to others. But at the end of the day, all of this stuff is voluntary. And it doesn't actually cost me anything that I don't want to voluntarily give. It's easy to say I'm a Christian. But am I a disciple? Am I a follower of Jesus? Am I going to learn everything I can about who he is, how he lives, and how he has asked me to live just like him? That means I'm going to have to understand his priorities, his values, his mission, his strategies, and then that means I'm going to have to change a lot about my priorities, my values, strategies, and mission. It costs me something much different to be a follower of Jesus than what it does for me just to show up on a Sunday morning with some friends, sing some favorite songs, and then see you next week. This is the reason why people have lowered the bar of expectation. It's so easy to become a Christian. It won't cost you anything. All you have to do is accept the free gift. But you see, Jesus didn't ask for people to become Christians. He asked people to follow him. And when he said that he wanted people to follow him, he said it in the context of announcing that he was going to die. Hey, I'm going to die and I want you to follow me. Which means he wants us to go and die with him. And so it begs the question, why on earth would someone choose this? Well, in order to understand that, we kind of need to work our way through four important concepts. The first concept is, God is the only source of life. He's the only creator. You're not going to find a source of life anywhere else from anyone else, no matter what. The second concept is, sin is anything that separates us from God. Sometimes we make lists of rules of things that we must not do or things that we must do. And given that our life circumstances are constantly changing, those lists are constantly changing too. 
we face a decision about, oh, wait a minute, we don't have a rule about this particular activity. And so is it acceptable or is it not acceptable? It'll really make it a whole lot easier for you if you just understand sin as anything that separates you from God. But you see, if we remember concept number one, that God is the only source of life, and then we realize that sin separates us from God, what we're saying is sin separates us from the only source of life. Sin always leads to death. Now, there are some sins that seem great. There are some sins that seem unimportant. But really, they all accomplish the same end. Sin is always death in disguise. And it's that disguise that leads us to be tempted by it. We're attracted to sin because we don't know or we don't remember that it's just death in disguise. But once you do know this, and once you do remember this, the lure of sin, the lure of temptation, loses its power upon you. Why would you be attracted to that which is going to kill you? Well, it may not kill you physically, but it is going to kill you in one way or another. Like if I lie to you, then your trust in me dies. If I steal your stuff, our friendship dies. If I'm unfaithful to my wife, our marriage dies. One way or another, sin separates me from God, and he's the only source of life, so sin always leads to death. The third concept is there is nothing that a dead person can do in order to fix the problem of their sin and death. You can't try harder to overcome your death. You can't be a really good person in order to outweigh the bad things that you've done in your life. You can't tip the scales of this moral balance, the scale of justice. It doesn't work that way. There's nothing that you can do to fix it because you're dead. Sin causes your death. You can't fix that. Nobody can, because all of us have sinned, all of us have brought death into our existence. The fourth concept then is the good news. We need someone else to fix this problem of sin and death for us. And the good news is that God has come to fix that problem for us. So when we're thinking about Jesus calling us to turn away from our sin, he isn't actually calling us to turn away from something wonderful. He's calling us to repent, that's the biblical word, to turn away from death in disguise. And if I know it's death in disguise, of course I want to turn away from it. Of course I want to follow after him. Of course I want my old sinful way of life to die. Jesus said, I'm going to die. I want you to follow me. That means we're going to die too. Well, what is it that's dying? It's our old sinful way of life. It has to end. It's decision-making time for some of us listening to this podcast right now. Yes, salvation is a free gift from Jesus Christ, but following him isn't free. It's very costly, and you're going to need to decide if that's something you're willing to do. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be painful, but I promise you that it's worth it. Let me give you a few resources if you're interested in learning more about this topic. Andy Stanley has a book and video series called Christian, It's Not What You Think. I've found this particular resource to be challenging and helpful. The other thing I want to encourage you to do is, rather than listening to rumors or popular opinions about what it means to follow Jesus, I want you to actually take the time and look at the life of Jesus. 
read what the Gospels in the Bible say about what he did, what he taught, and what he asked us to do. And let that be your guide as you figure out how to be a disciple, a follower. If you like the idea of more people hearing Evernotice, I encourage you to give it a rating and review. And I want to say thanks to those who tell a friend about Evernotice. Those who do get a puppet made entirely out of cat hair while supplies last. You can find a transcript of this podcast available at PastorSteveBainey.com. Please subscribe on your favorite platform so you won't miss the next sensational, inspirational, celebrational episode of Evernotice.